Hi, you're listening to the Classroom and Culture Podcast from Epic Media Partners, where we go deep on all things faith, culture, creativity, tech, and innovation as they relate to education and learning. Please see the show notes for additional info and details discussed in today's podcast. Monroe here at our noisy, bustling, epic media partners headquarters. So today we're picking up where we left off in part one of our discussion with Michael Zavada on recruiting, hiring, and retaining the best people for your classroom, all with a mission-driven approach to uh, preserving your classroom's culture. And given that rather lengthy description, we want to take a deeper dive today on the importance of uh, culture in the classroom and how it affects all of the components I just mentioned. And specifically, we want to discuss uh, what great teachers are looking for in their schools and why some of our best leave when the culture declines. Again, a little background on Michael Zavada. Uh, We know Mike here as part of the Epic family. And aside from his friendship and wisdom in general, he consults us on so many things from school and classroom, culture and systems, to curriculum, to how all the parts fit together in the ed space as a whole. Um, And professionally, Mike's been the middle and upper school principal at a large Christian school in our region. And prior to that, Mike served as an athletic director at another large independent school in the region. And again, uh, we're withholding the names of those schools to allow Mike to share some pertinent stories in our conversation today. He's also served at schools in Miami and Hawaii, and critical to the last 10 years of Mike's experience has been the ability to attract new talent as the boomer generation has retired from crucial roles at his schools. So with that, let's say hey to Mike. Okay. Hey, Mike. Monroe, you're going <laughs> to give us some music entertainment? Oh, buddy. Yeah, listen. Here's the deal. You cannot be in a bad mood when you have a ukulele in your hand. It's just the, you know, it's just the best thing. That reminds me of when I lived and worked in Hawaii. It was hard to be in a bad mood out there. Oh, see? Because yeah. the ukulele music all the time. Oh, buddy. I love it. Yep. I I don't know, man. It's kind of like I'm Linus and that's my blanket, right? Uh, Here we are. So I am so glad to do part two here in this discussion with you. We really talked about some great things and I learned a ton from you last week. What we're going to do today is we're going to take a deeper dive into culture as it relates to all the things that we talked about. But before we do that, let's just do a recap. I want to refer back for a minute to part one, that discussion. And if you can, just talk to us about mission and how we can stay mission-driven when it comes to the type of people we hire. Just as a reminder, too, I know that we covered things like collaborative hiring and behavioral situation interviewing, um, ways to determine if someone's a good fit or not for your particular culture, whether that's even important or not. Can you recap some of those things for us? Yeah, and I want to dive deeper into that stuff because I'm not sure we did it justice, but uh, when somebody like me gets into a role as a principal or somebody's a head of school, they usually come from an academic background and they don't necessarily have a management background. And so I tasked myself with getting research on management and I went to Harvard Business Review and found, man, I've, these are some great resources and some things I don't know. When we talk about culture, when we talk about cultural fit, sometimes we're a little misguided because the people, again, educators, teachers in that a collaborative Approach, they haven't been coached on, okay, collaborative fit versus collaborative complement, which is really what we want. I read a great article by Melissa Daimler, uh, who was the Global Learning and Organization Development Chair, Chief at Adobe, Twitter, and WeWork. And she talks about the difference between cultural fit. And I saw that at schools, people were Uh, either looking, okay, we have this role open because the chemistry teacher is retiring. So we need a chemistry teacher who is also the soccer coach because that person left. And they were just so focused on finding that role and checking that box rather than finding somebody who would really complement 
what was already there. And so also people in an organization who are interviewing, uh, especially if they haven't been trained and, and looking at these things from a management perspective, try to find people who are just like them. So say, okay, they're a cultural fit because they're just like us. They look like us. They talk like us. They think like us. Where And I'm even talking at a Christian school where biblical principles are paramount, but it doesn't mean that everybody has to come from the same background to those biblical principles. And so what I want to do with this podcast is kind of encourage folks who've been in the position that I've been, who these, we talked last time about sleepless nights, see sleepless nights, thinking about hiring, mm-hmm. expand to think about cultural compliments. What do we already have? What do we need? But where are some things we could expand to based on and broaden our horizons with some new people, some new ideas, different age groups, different you know perspectives, different people coming from different geographic regions, and they really complement what we're doing in our organization. Well, you know, the hard thing is, I mean, we, we know that creating and maintaining a great culture is not an easy thing to do. And, and I think that's why there's so much conversation around it now. And it's kind of become a buzzword, right? Everybody uses it. But here's the thing. I think everybody will say that they've got a great culture, but it's not always the case. Or maybe they don't really know what the components of a great culture are. Why don't we start by you just throwing out some general things that you think are signs of a healthy culture in the classroom environment and the school environment? Hey, classroom culture and school culture, are they two different different things. Just give us a little background on that. that, That's great. And I think, you know, first off, you're talking about behaviors and Daimler talks about this behavior systems and practices uh, from a management perspective. So the behaviors, according to this article she wrote about, the behaviors really start at the top. I think a lot of times at schools, we focus on student behavior and we write a long handbook about what students can do and can't do and then schools have gotten into all right parents you can do this and you can't do this but really the behavior starts with the leadership so the head of school the principal leading his or her division um, those folks what is their behavior like and what how clear are they on the expectations so the handbook is good But if the behaviors of the head or the leaders don't reflect what's in the handbook, then you really don't have much and you kind of deteriorate the culture. So let me give you an example. If um, a school is trying to go for more transparency or a, a relational culture, a lot of schools are talking about relationships but the head of school or the principal are too busy to, um, you know, the curriculum director, they're too busy to get into classrooms and kind of generally sit alongside teachers and the students and say, hey, what are you guys learning about? Then you really don't have a relationship built culture if the head himself, herself is not doing that. Um, You know, also what's important is, you have a, and this gets back to the mission, you have a mission statement, all right, for the school. What if those, everybody sees that people following that mission get rewarded? That's a powerful signal that that, that, that is what's being rewarded. So it comes down to the students, hey, we um, have a mission where uh, we are serving others, right? In our mission, we're taking biblical principles and we're serving others. And I understand that you just went for the past 10 Saturdays and you did this. We're going to sh- demonstrate, show that off at a chapel. We're going to show that off uh, at a halftime rather than just uh, showing off, highlighting the athletes. That might be a good thing to do on, you know, on a senior night. Say, this is our senior top um, service award winner and uh, show that off. Um, that sends a powerful message. And so, you know, as far as modeling the right behavior, that also is a way, right, of sending clear expectations. Right. I um, have a great example. The boarding school I went to, all boys boarding school, grades uh, eight through 12, it was on the British system, it was called the Forms. 
And uh, the head of school each morning before breakfast, we, we had a family dining situation where the, the teachers would sit at a table and they would have a family table and we would sit around there. But before we went into breakfast, the head of school was out with a garbage bag. And this is at, you know, at what would be now a $40,000 a year prep school. Hmm. He's out with a garbage bag walking around campus picking up trash. And you think that sent wow. a powerful message to the kids at the school about how much he valued the school. Um, and that's a great example and a great way to hold people accountable without preaching. Boy, I love that. Absolutely love it. Yeah, it was pretty interesting that the school was pristine. I didn't see very much garbage. It was a beautiful school, but in a kind of rugged uh, blue collar town. So some things could get blown up into it and stuff just from debris from the streets and stuff. But the campus itself was pristine. So as we talk about these things, let's look at the other side for a second. When you go and do like school visits or accreditation visits or whatever, I mean, what are the signs to you that a culture may be slipping? And that's a great, that's a great question. So some obvious things are when the faculty and the administration are saying different things or when something that's kind of obvious is when the people at the school, the students, the teachers, the parents don't know what the mission of the school is. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's like the first look at from an accreditation standpoint is here's the mission. And this is what you're judged by. If you say you do this and you do it, then basically you're accredited by the groups that I, I do accreditation for. But there are schools where the folks don't know the mission. Now I'm not talking about having it word for word memorized, but if there are key pillars that we're going to have a biblical worldview that our students are going to come out being servants, uh, that they're going to have the high academic caliber and we're going to hold them to that. And people don't know that that's the first sign. Uh, The second sign is when there are a lot of, um, where it's like baseball, where there's a lot of unwritten rules, right? And if you've been there a long time, you know the unwritten rules and you're brand new there and you don't know the unwritten rules and you get yourself into pinches as a new person because you don't know the unwritten rules, that's a a big problem. Um, And I I think another part of the culture is when, uh, a dysfunctional culture is when people don't, know what's expected of them and don't stay in their lane. So at schools, you have a board and they have a certain lane that they're in. They're responsible for the fiduciary responsibility of school and they're responsible for the long-term planning of what the school is going to look like 5, 10, 20, 50 years down the road. If those people, if the people on the board are focused on what's going to happen next week, or who this position is other than the head of school, then you have difficulty in the culture. Um, You also have situations where uh, the people in the culture aren't able to communicate well because people traditionally haven't been staying in their lanes. Uh, So sometimes that that comes in where there's too much board oversight in the day-to-day and and they, they're coming in and talking about a teacher and rather than letting that play off. Sometimes we talk about, I got to take my board cap off and put my parent hat on. And sometimes that happens at a school where a board member has a conflicting situation with a teacher and their son or daughters in the classroom. Um, I would say at a Christian culture, school culture, the school's not following the Matthew 18 principle, get into trouble. You know, if, if there is a lot of passive behind the scenes talk about this person or that person, it's, it's destructive. And the final thing I'll say 
and it, it seems a little bit more positive, but it, it can be a real negative is when the people working in the school, either the students or the teachers, aren't getting uh, feedback. And that can come in various forms. But I've, I've had, uh, in my earlier days, exit interviews with teachers who are leaving, and they said, well, one of the things I wish you would have done more is, I wish you would have come and observed me more and give me some feedback on how I was doing. Right. We all want to know, especially if we're doing a good job, that we're doing a good job. But a lot of times, you know, because of time and, and resources, we're only telling people when they do a bad job and it's got to be corrected. And that's that's trouble. And, and you know, for folks that are in a principal role, there's just so many hours a day. But they have to be very, very disciplined about getting in classrooms and giving. And it doesn't have to be written feedback. It should be somewhat specific. I really liked how you did this rather than, hey, good job. And that which says nothing. And I would say also that you've got to have a safe environment where uh, where trust exists because those types of things and measurements could be used against you, right? Um, right. Yeah. And so I think you've got to be careful in how you go about those practices or processes. Well, the nice thing at a school is you have great professionals, the teachers, and they can lean on each other. Some schools don't have a great um, peer observation kind of, hey, I'm trying this out. Would you come into my classroom and see how I'm doing? But the great schools, they have that. They have peers coming in and saying, um, hey, I saw your lesson. I'm glad you invited me in. Here's some things I was wondering why you did this and why you did that. Not not in a critical, but I was kind of amazed that you did this or what were you thinking? What was going through your mind? And that allows the teacher being observed to kind of reflect on I did this for this reason and it worked out or it didn't work out. Work out. When I went into some schools recently, uh, we did a lot of reflection debriefs with the teachers. And they said, in first period, this worked, but I knew I had a different group of kids. And they were reflecting that through that with me. And that was really helpful to them. And they, and they shared that with me. So um, do you have a culture where reflection takes, back, uh, takes place? So feedback is sometimes a very uh, bad word. And you, you talk about <laughs> it like feedback can be used against you. Um, you got to have systems in place where there is um, dialogue back and forth and reflection back and forth with teachers in uh, how they're doing. Um, so that's on the same level. Sometimes the principal comes in, but if the principal's in all the time, then it's not scary. And then, you know, also you're probably meeting the standards because the principal's always in there and you're getting some some feedback. Hey, I love that you did this. Whereas the, the destructive culture, and I'm, I've been guilty of this, uh, is when the principal only comes in from one evaluation a year or has only seen you once or twice in the year. And he starts to get, uh, or she starts to get, um, some situations where the performance might not be so good or hear those whispers. Oh, and that's fear-based. I would not do well in that environment. Yeah. Right. Well, it will be like, you know, you're in the music industry. Let's say you did a re recording session over two days, right? And uh, you're in the sound room and you give no feedback to uh, the, the musicians in there. And uh, you know that that the album that they're making stinks or maybe there was a technical <laughs> flaw. And some of the instruments didn't come in and you didn't say anything for the whole time. Yeah. And then they're expecting, Hey, that was a great set. And, and they had no idea. You know, it's funny in the creative world. And I've seen this, this is not the, the, the kind of environment or culture I try to build when I go into the studio, but I've literally in my early years, I would sit under producers that intentionally created a culture of 
anxiety and fear to try to get a certain kind of performance out of artists. Now, I, I have never subscribed to that. Matter of fact, that was one of those things where when I saw that happen and saw what it did for the morale of the, the band or the artist, I was like, okay, take notes. I know one thing here that I will not do when I start producing records. All to say though, there's diversity of environment and culture depending on what you're doing. Today's Classroom and Culture podcast is produced and sponsored by Epic Media Partners. Epic has created a learning platform complete with a robust content management system for schools and teachers that's connected to a mobile app to engage students in a way that's relevant to them and makes curriculum content come to life. We offer a wide range of biblical worldview content and curriculum through dynamic and educationally sound lessons that parachute into Generation Z's world and speak their language. Epic's founders are passionate about Gen Z and want to ensure that the legacy and depth of a biblical worldview carries through to the next generation. Teachers and school leaders, please don't miss out on the opportunity to supercharge your Bible courses or your advisory sessions with Epic. Contact the Epic team at epic2.com or contact Tyler Young in our school's support area at tyyoung, that's T-Y-Y-O-U-N-G, at epic2.com, Ty Young at epic2.com. Let me ask you this, going back to your accreditation visits for one second, is it possible that a school can be so driven in the components of its culture or its mission or whatever that there can be like a wake of debris that's left, right? Because they were driving so hard that sensitivity to students and teachers and those kinds of things could get left behind. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I, I see it. I mean, there are hard-driving heads of school and hard-driving principals, and sometimes they're you know, given a mandate by the board or they're given a mandate by school leaders to do X, and they forget that. So... That's why your mission is so important. You know, right. hopefully in mission, there's a statement about the mission and vision about how the students are to be treated. So Christian schools, I think most of the missions talk about nurturing in Christ or supporting for Christ, disciplining for Christ and in, uh, in the mission. And uh, so that should be some guardrails to keep people who are charging hard to say no to certain things so that the focus is where it needs to be. Uh, I have been in school cultures where the teachers forgot that the school was for the students and thought that was set up for them. So sometimes you see that in policies like, well, we don't want to do that because that's going to be inconvenient to the teachers, even uh, if it was the best thing for the students. Makes right. sense. Yes. So um, schools are, the smart schools right now are being very dialing down, you know, what is most important is the student being in, in the type of learning environment that you have, they're being nurtured and, and uh, challenged at the same time in that, and that your protocols and your procedures and all those are there to support the student, not necessarily the teacher. But at the same time, teachers whose heart are in the right place and can see that and know, okay, this is this is for what's best for the students, and that's why I'm in education. And, and usually, they're they're not mutually exclusive; that they're they are mutually beneficial. What's good for the teacher is good for the student. Um, okay, so let's switch gears for a second. We talked about recruiting a lot in the last discussion. So say you've now found your rock star teachers, right? And they uh, complement the culture. They're also a good fit for the culture. So what are some of the things that teacher leaders are looking for in that culture to ensure that those things are fulfilled? Like, in other words, you got those rock star teachers. How do you now make them stick and stay? Great, great question. And, and so I can speak to that as a teacher and then also as a principal administrator, uh, I think if you're younger in your career, 
sometimes you are looking for mentoring. Um, so is there somebody in the organization, in the school, who's going to come alongside me and talk to me about what, what I'd be well advised to do in the future? So that could come as far as professional development, uh, going to conferences, um, who shall be listening to at the school? Who are some other schools that, what are some other schools I could go visit? Right. So somebody is going to come alongside me and we do a lot for Epic with Gen Z. So the Gen Z and then the millennial generation that are the early, uh, newly experienced workers at the schools, they want mentoring. They want uh, advice and guidance about the future. All right. The other thing that was hard for me, if, if a school was not transparent about hiring from within. So let's say um, I know that there's a role that's going to come up. Let's say a dean of students or assistant athletic director or department chair or any of those mid-tier roles that a new teacher after a few years could possibly ascend to. If those aren't transparent, like let's say, all right, we're giving this role, you just see an email out where we've appointed so-and-so to this role. And without any kind of open interview process or without any, um, you know, posting and nobody got interviewed for it, it was just appointment pointed. That really frustrated me when I was uh, new into the um, position. Now, later I benefited from that because I was handed one of those roles and uh, I, I mean, I was grateful for that, but I think it's better for the candidate and for uh, the school if there's a transparent process where people interview. That goes back to our earlier po podcast, right? Mm, absolutely. So those are some things. I think later career teachers who are really comfortable in their career teaching know that they want to stay in the classroom. What they want is um, don't make them jump through hoops that aren't necessary. Make sure any new endeavor, new technology endeavor, a new curriculum is well thought out and they've had some, some feedback into it. Now, they could be on the wrong side of it. They could say, well, I don't want to change what I've been doing, but if the school decides it, it's necessary and it's the way and it fits the mission and the strategic plan of the school, they may have to go that route, but they do want to have some input in that. Um, they want to see that especially your, your rock star teachers have strong character, right? So they also want to see strong character rewarded and um, inefficient character or um, poor character discipline. So let's say if somebody is always late, they want to see that. And there's a great article, uh, a chapter in that book, uh, Entree Leadership by Dave Ramsey, that goes into that that I used a lot, you know, it's amazing. Let's say you have a, a teacher in a position that's hard to replace. Maybe it's in the sciences or math, but they're not performing well and they have some, they're late or they're gruff with students or this or that. And you're like hesitant to pull the trigger on maybe helping them find a new place to teach. But um, because it'd be so hard to find and you think maybe they have great relationships with the other teachers because they've been there a long time, but it's really interesting. And it's said in this entree leadership book, Dave Ramsey says it, and I've seen it happen that when you remove that person who's not meeting the standard, all the people around them breathe a sigh of relief. Mm. It's, it's amazing how that, but there's so much pressure and fear of the leader that they don't want to change the status quo, but it's amazing if you do change it, how much of a breath of fresh air you can do that. And again, trying to find that cultural complement rather than we got to replace this person. and educators. You need to know AXIS, A-X-I-S, 
Axis.org is all things culture, conversation, and connection. They are here to help you navigate today's culture and connect with your team through meaningful conversations that last a lifetime. Axis has partnered with Epic to point teens back to a biblical worldview, and they have powerful, powerful resources like the Culture Translator email that gives insights into the hot topics hitting your teen each week. And by the way, that email is free. Also, they've got parent guides and teen summits that take a deeper dive into a particular issue and conversation kits that give in-depth educational and transformational training. Go browse their site for all of these great resources. That's Axis, A-X-I-S, Axis.org. Talk to me about, I, I've, I've heard you talk about this before. I know this is key uh, as well in culture. There are key systems components. Can you, can you go into that a little bit? Unpack that as part of culture and, and, and what that's about. Right. So having, let's say hiring, if you have a transparent process, you have a, we're going to post it. We're going to take in um, applications. We're also going to be recruiting across the board, trying to get more applications. We're going to have part of the team on the search committee that's made up of a group across the board of the school, weighing in on a second round of candidates and then bringing the candidate to campus, having him or her meet a lot of people. That process is transparent. Ultimately, the head makes the decision, but probably if he or she is wise, they're going to take feedback from a separate feedback. So I've made a point that let's say you take an email feedback about the candidate that was just on campus it's not good for my experience to have that be an email thread with everybody doing that and people coming back and forth off of that because I think that gets into groupthink, but a single to the head or the point of the search. So that's a transparent process, and I think the people with high character value that. Um, uh, I was always very careful that if I required a Skype or a Zoom FaceTime call that like we're doing uh, this interview on, on Zoom, I wanted whether the candidate was local, lived five blocks away from the school, or they were in four states over, that I wanted them to do that uh, Zoom call equally so that they could show that they understood the technology. I think it's unfair when somebody gets to come to campus in the second round versus um, ah, yeah. somebody zooming in, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that was part of that. And again, posting, posting the position, letting people know, and you're always going to get some of the best candidates and feedback from the people who are already here in your organization. So I'm not saying you can't have referrals from within the organization. Hey, Sally in down in first grade knows this great person who would be an excellent middle school science teacher. That referral is great. And we want that, but that person should go through the process, not skip the second to the second step or the third step and be brought immediately to campus just to make it time efficient or um, out of respect to Sally down in first grade. If I'm hearing what you've told me before, that would also play into practices um, as, as far as how you execute on systems components, um, yeah, and, talk about how decisions are made, right? No. And so many leaders zig zag on a decision and get themselves in trouble because we, here's our mission. Here's our vision statement. This is what we want to do for the next three, five years. These are the type of people that we want to bring in based on where we're headed. And then we hit the panic button because, hey, by August, we need this person in place. And so we zag. And it usually invariably gets us into trouble. Um, You know, the other part is ultimately the head of school um, makes the final decision on all hires. um, and that that is a heavy mantle to carry and they should have that because they have the ultimate liability and, and responsibility for all the people that work there. And then the head reports to the board and that's their only, the board's only um, employee. So those decisions that the head makes 
hopefully they're well informed and they're informed by the people at the school involved in the process and they the people in that process should be people that the head trusts and if they're not then you got a cultural issue right i have somebody in place making uh giving me feedback that i don't trust their feedback well have you had the conversation about that with that person and the process therefore should be probably clear and maybe even repeatable right um so that everybody's in the loop on that and also not just in hiring but also you talked about evaluations and fear-based evaluations Mm. um the strategy that you have for helping people understand how they're doing in their job should be transparent and should be everybody should be getting observed not just this person over there she's fine so we don't have to go observe her right and i should be meeting if i'm the principal let's say with a one-on-one with everybody not just people that i'm concerned about does that make sense absolutely what's that fear or i'm calling so-and-so into the office whereas i haven't brought everybody at a different time into the office you know and the, the students sense that as well you talk about the culture you know the number one complaint i ever had from students whether they were did everything right or did things um, not not according to the handbook <laughs> is, you know, did you get everybody who wasn't doing wrong or did you just pick on me? You know, you always get that. And, and that's that's an unfair argument on their part. But to the extent to which you can enforce thoroughly and evenly, um, you have to do it. You know, or else people are going to say, hey, that's not fair. Right. And that destructs your culture, right? But when the, the person that's getting nailed owns up to it and you're like, yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. And, you know, that's a good conversation, too. Sure. And the thing I thought you were going to when you were talking about the students, I, I think the students also, if there's tension in the faculty, you know, with their teacher, I think students can sense that in the culture. And yeah. so, right. And so teachers could lose credibility with their students, depending on what's going on there. Absolutely. Scripture is clear on gossip, uh-huh. you know, but sometimes school cultures are engaged in gossip. And when it's really hard to hide gossip, I mean, Satan's amazing at how he lets gossip unravel and, and he allows the people to hear that even we're, we're not, we're really purposeful. Don't tell anybody I've said this, bump, 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 bump. Or, uh, you know, there was a pastor that, of a church I went to and he said, just saying, isn't just saying it's really actually saying, you know, you get the people that say, Hey, I'm, I'm just saying this, um, you know, no, no meaning any harm, but bum, bum, bum. And they go off to, uh, excoriate somebody. Right. Of course. Well, that happens sometimes in destructive, uh, classroom environments and the, the students pick up that, and you know, the best school cultures, are ones where there are great relationships between the teachers and students and there's great uh, trusting, supportive relationships amongst the faculty. There's just no question about that. Mm, So good. This is a lot of great stuff. I know we got to wrap up here. You know, there's one other thing that I would love to cover. In our given current economic situation, right? What are the cues there that may give us a picture of what the future of, say, teacher tenure and the ability to retain our best teachers will will look like? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've worked with groups like uh, Southern Teachers out of Charlottesville in in trying to attract uh, the, the next line of teachers. So you have the baby boom teachers retiring. And I went through that during my tenure as principal where I was replacing these master retiring teachers. And you have a real healthy, robust economy. And when the economy is really strong, uh, the ability to find teachers is lower because those folks, when the economy is strong, you have people that know they want to be a teacher and will be a lifetime teacher. But if the economy is strong, the people that are kind of on the fence or maybe in the business world, they're not contemplating a shift to education or a second career in education. They're staying where they are. 
when you see an economic downturn, you'll start to see more folks try to get into education. Um, So you'll see this, especially in the math and the sciences, right? So you have a research think tank who's going to pay 75, 80,000 for a biology degree and somebody maybe with a master's in research or education, they're probably going to go that route rather than starting a career at 40 or 50,000 in education. And uh, there's a real fallacy about having summers off. Um, Uh Um, You know, it is a 10 month school year, but there are some things week to week. It's definitely more relaxing during breaks and we're about to hit one now. Hopefully, administrators are going to listen to this during their Christmas break. So a tight labor market because of high employment, low unemployment, and a great economy is rough on teaching industry um, because simply schools are not paying enough to teachers is probably uh, the situation that economics just bears that out. That's why there's a shortage. If we have a retraction in or a recession like we had in 2007, 8, 9, 10, you'll have a lot more people getting into education, uh, uh, thinking uh, that that's a soft landing spot for them. Okay. So anything else that comes to mind as we talk about closing the gaps here? Yeah. The bottom line then is that really, if you're in a, this kind of economy, you really want to hold on to the great teachers that you have. And you do that by having a transparent culture, by having great leader behavior that shows that the leader is engaged and also has high expectations of him or herself, um, that where the great behaviors that are mission driven get rewarded. Um, one of the things I always love to do is when we had our gatherings, um, a department meeting or a division meeting, something like that, I had a mission keeper award. And so we also did this at a previous school I was at. I learned that from the head of school there. So that week before the meeting, we'd have nominations. Please send me nominations and why you nominating this teacher for the mission keeper award and say why. And then I would have a card with a gift card wrapped up signed to that teacher's name. And I would say, so-and-so your peers have, uh, this week for this meeting, uh, nominated you as the mission keeper. Uh, thank you for doing this. It was a great play that your guy, your folks performed or saw that you went the extra mile and working on the term papers with students or so on. It was that kind of thing. And, uh, I think that was well appreciated. And when you have a really great culture, you, you get a bunch of nominations for that. And people, there's just this natural um, high, I'll call it a high, but a uh, gratification that people get by recognizing their peers. Then you also say, hey, especially when I was a younger teacher, hey, I want to get that. What, do, what, what am <laughs> I going to do to get that? Yeah, clear criteria there. Right. And so uphold the mission, make sure you're going above and beyond the uphold the mission and you get that. Ah, I love it. Okay, so it's, it's kind of like... And I'll leave a last thing with culture. Obviously, we're in an age where life is much more fast paced and sitting through an hour long meeting on a Monday, which is when traditionally most faculty meetings happen, I think is, uh, that's needs to go by the wayside. Toxic. Yeah, it's, (laughs) it's, it's toxic, especially when 90% of the stuff that you go over, uh, could be sent in an email. Uh, one of the things that I was working with and had some great success on was, doing a flipped, um, a flipped division meeting, say, and the minutia was sent out an email, but I would, if there was something that I wanted to help them grow with professionally, maybe it was an article, maybe it was a Ted talk, maybe it was, um, you know, another video from, from another area on teaching and instruction or 
how something that fit our mission. And I would have them do that on their own time and give them a week space to do it leading up to when the meeting was supposed to be. And then I would give them some reflection questions and a lot of it was built into their professional growth. And so instead of spending 30 or 40 minutes in the division meeting, wherever they were, whenever they wanted, it could be Friday night. Some, some people did it as soon as they got it, but they would do it. And I would get the feedback and reflection and I would have that collated. Now, instead of a meeting in an hour where it was just me talking or just a video that I showed that they could have done, they, they watched the video, they read an article, they reflected, they sent, stuff back and I could get a gauged on what, what they were thinking and how they um, were motivated or inspired by this article on teaching and learning or this video. Um, one of the videos could have been your favorite ones from uh, Sir Ken Robinson about, you know, what's 21st century education, what's it supposed to look like? That could have been one. Actually, I think we had that in an in-service, but here, here's the thing, a destructive culture is, and I've been on teams where this was the case, uh, basketball teams in, in college and stuff, where people don't have respect for other people's time and the things that they could be doing with that time, right? And you have a bunch of teachers who are already stressed on time, who have grades due and parent phone calls and curriculum planning and they uh, want to give feedback, maybe write a note to a student, and I'm going to hold them hostage for an hour because I have the power to do it as the principal. That is probably the most destructive to a culture that the principal or the leader has control over. Right? Sure. So yeah. why not give them their time back to use as they want without busy work, but where you want them reflecting and you say, we have a culture of professional reflection, and this is one of the pieces of that. We have a culture of professional development. We'd like for you to look at this or and or find another video that you thought was well and recommend it to your peers through this channel. Boy, this could be another podcast, right, on some of these elements and how to conduct these meetings, you know, when they have them. It's interesting. I, I read a thing where apparently Jeff Bezos does not allow PowerPoint presentations in any meetings. It's basically all conducted from a printout of a bullet list from whoever's leading the meeting. And they say that their meetings are way more productive. Um, and I think that comes under respecting time and, and the whole thing. And a, a culture where you're allowed to have fun. Absolutely. There's yeah. a, a great Christian school up in Nashville uh, that we've both visited. And uh, I have friends that are family that work at. Uh, and um one year at the end of the year teacher appreciation luncheon, um, the whole administrative team was on roller skates <laughs> serving, serving the teachers like it was Sonic with like milkshakes and Sundays and stuff like that. Okay. And they're going back and forth on the rollerblades. So the head of school and the principals, the middle school head, you know, all those folks, the business officers, they're on rollerblades going around. And it was just so much fun. I heard such great feedback on that um, from the people that I knew that, that worked there. And, um, you know, whatever team that you have, like uh, my, my um, wife just began working at a Christian organization, Bible Study Fellowship, so I think at uh, Halloween, great organization. They have a, they have a tower at the at the campus, kind of a bell tower, and it's about three four flights up. It might be six flights up, and so they have a pumpkin dropping contest, <laughs> and they have like targets down below, and they see who can hit target. I mean, these are grown adults, but that they've been very purposeful, intentional about having fun. Um, and they're bringing Bible curriculum throughout the world, cities throughout the world, um, you know, even to some tough places like China. Mm. But yet they have the time to stop and, and do a game like that. Sometimes as a leader, you're just so concerned with time and your time is so filled, but you don't have fun. and You don't have rest time, you know, allow time for rest, allow time for vacation, allow time to be off of email and, you know, so I just heard 
a NPR article today about Amazon. So Amazon, you mentioned Jeff Bezos, and they are so time sensitive to get products to all these places for delivery for Christmas, especially right now that it'll be on time. We got this guarantee. And now there's some little cracks coming in that. So is that can, can the people that are doing these deliveries, are they taking unnecessary chances with their safety to make sure I could see a delivery person? Like, are they going through that red light to get that delivery there? So you have to be careful on that. That gets back to what you're talking about driving too hard. Mm, right. Absolutely. I mean, there would be no question right now if Amazon got no further that they would still be one of the greatest companies in the in the world, right? Yeah. I mean, when do you shift strategies from scale and exponent or do you from scale and exponential growth to one of maintaining and and is and is that bad? For some reason, I think we consider that a bad thing now. In the fast-paced world, like you say that we're in now, it's growth, 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 scale, scale, scale. Well, they're they're dependent on shareholders, and of course, uh, growth is um, GDP. You know, yeah. economists are always looking at that, and the shareholders are looking at that. With schools, yep. fortunately, we're looking at twenty-five down. 25 years down the line, what kind of children do we support to become great young men? Ideally, yes, absolutely. Right. So there's a great book that's getting pretty old now. It's probably about 15 or 20 years old called Season of Life by um, the author's name, excuse me, Jeffrey. I forget his last name, but a lot of coaches have read that. And the key principle is we are trying to support and nurture and grow young men and women in our schools to be great husbands, wives, leaders of household, parents, 20, 25 years from now. Mm. Again, that's getting back to the mission. Who are you going to bring onto your team that has that viewpoint and can carry it out every day? Ah, that's great. Well, hey, buddy, it has been fantastic, just like always, having this conversation with you. And yeah, I think we uh, I think we uncovered about five more topics uh, for different conversations. But Mike, thank you so much. Um, and hey, I guess I will. Uh, I'll see you back on another episode. Close us with some ukulele, man. Oh, buddy, here we go. I feel like I am on the deck of a place in Hawaii Kai, the Kona Brewing Company or something like that, listening to the music in uh, Hawaii Kai on Oahu. That or it's an Adam Sandler skit. Who knows, right? Um, hey, buddy, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks. If you thought today's episode was enlightening, please pass the word. The Classroom and Culture Show can be heard on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, to become a regular listener and receive additional info, please subscribe on your favorite platform today. That's Classroom and Culture from Epic Media Partners. Thanks.